Welcome into Dog Central on a Tuesday evening after a long hiatus. Uh, I've been traveling. John's been doing John things. We've all been busy, but it is good to be back here together. Uh, SEC spring meetings going on in Destin right now. Uh, kind of feels like we're, you know, we're sort of entering the last third of the offseason. It's sort of hitting the home stretch. Actually, I feel like starting to maybe like think about real football again instead of uh, administrative matters. Although with spring meetings going on, this is very much a week for administrative matters. Um, we've got a lot of subscriber questions to get to tonight, uh, covering some Georgia recruiting and some on-field stuff. But first, obviously, we want to talk about sort of the news of the day, which is uh, the big kind of ongoing debate and uh, schism might be too strong of a word, but but there's definitely a split happening within the Southeastern yeah. Conference uh, around whether or not we should have an eight game or nine game uh, schedule in the league. So wanted to uh, get your thoughts on that first and foremost. Yeah, I mean, you know, so for me, it's it's so interesting because what college football has become because you have a conference that's about to go to 16 teams and um, the pr university presidents are saying things like Jerry Moorhead said, well, we have to understand the compensation for this extra game. Right. Uh, if we can move to a nine game, if we knew to move to a nine game schedule. Um, it's just fascinating that the debate has moved from um, wear and tear on athletes, athlete safety, you know, there's just a number of things to we're going to expand the college football playoff and yeah, we could play nine games, but is ESPN going to pay us for that extra game? Like there's, you know, all of those conversations are interwoven to me because they are all about the economics and the money um, when it comes to college football. Um, but it, 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 the, what's more interesting, I think, is you have the Texas A&M athletic director, and I don't know if he's changed his mind or his stance, but you had him saying uh, a few weeks ago, um, we, Texas A&M supports a nine-game schedule, and then right. now you have Kirby Smart and the coaches. Some of the coaches, you know, staying out of it because they're saying Kirby Smart is like, doesn't matter to me. Uh, let's play, you know, whatever. Um, but then you have the economics coming in. So the whole, the whole, I think, what's going to be the catalyst for nine games is is really fascinating to me. Um, I think there's been a number of people report this, so I don't know who to give most of the credit to, but um, I, I think the consensus right now is that the SEC will will stay at an eight-game conference schedule for a year, um, something you know temporary, um, to, and then move to a nine game schedule. Um, so maybe it's a year or two with uh, once the conference expands. So maybe that first year is still eight game schedule. Then you move to a nine game schedule um, to give really, I think the incentive for ESPN um, to pay them more money for that extra game. So um, I think that's going to be interesting to watch how that all plays out. Yeah. And I mean, I think what's interesting is, you look back on when the league went to 14 teams mm -hmm. uh, and that was kind of when the, the nine game schedule model that we're talking about uh, Texas A&M proposed that at the time, because yeah. they looked around and they were like, wait a second, you know, we're coming in and we're not going to play some of these teams for yeah. 
12, 12, 14, 16 years. Um, Texas A&M came in and said, wait, we don't get to play Vanderbilt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Once every eight years. (laughs) Well, and also, like, we would maybe like the uh, – to – put the uh, gate receipt from having a team like Georgia come to Kyle field into our coffers. Right. So yeah, there's the balance of like, and that's kind of the interesting thing. There's some people that are like, Hey, we want more marquee home games because that's going to make us more money. And then there are uh, the Nick Saban's of the world uh, who I think, I think Saban's probably been more honest about it than most uh, in terms of kind of saying like, Hey, uh, playing LSU and Tennessee, and Auburn every year is kind of a tough draw of three permanent rivals. And Kirby Smart made a comment today. He was kind of asked about, you know, the the three permanent rivals thing and just sort of pointed out to the history of the league is that all these programs are pretty cyclical. Mm-hmm. And he's right about that. Yeah. Like Auburn, you know, uh, you would have been fine with drawing Auburn as a permanent rival for the last couple of seasons, yep. right? Yep. Um, so, you know, I, I think that is – kind of a horse trading thing that is a little ridiculous because you're you're really just I, I think the ADs when it comes to figuring out these permanent rivals are basically just working off the information they have now and someone's inevitably going to screw themselves because uh you know you're, you're going to have a team like a maybe Missouri or somebody that uh does pop up and you know have a have a good year here or there mm-hmm. and maybe has a nine or ten win season because They've got their NIL figured out yeah. and and they hit on some guys. So that I think is not really worth arguing about right. until we, we have some concrete information. But I do think there's legitimacy to the athletic directors who, you know, like Kentucky, I think has been one that's been named as saying, Hey, we don't want to go to nine games and maybe cost our shot or ourselves a shot at a bowl game, mm-hmm. unless we know what this revenue is going to be. Yep. Because, you know, the, the $5 million maybe that you get for uh, going to, I don't know, the music city bowl or going to Shreveport for the independence bowl. If that's being replaced by the money you're making for a ninth league game, then okay. You know, that that's a wash. But if you are just losing that money, then, uh, you know that that's a fair that's a fair concern, yeah. especially with. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, no, I was gonna say yeah. The, I mean, the economics are really important, right? They are really important when it comes to college football right now because you have these conferences. The SEC looks and sees what's going on with the Big Ten with their media deal and the amount of money that they're making, and um, and they know the SEC knows their value. And your point is exactly a great point. Just to double down on it. We're we're a Georgia media outlet, and we are Georgia fans. But there are a lot of teams that that extra conference game could potentially be the make or break between a bowl game, and that bowl game means right. real dollars for their athletic department. And I don't I don't love it, right? I don't love that as like, wait a second, you're going to back down from competition because you might lose and not make a bowl game. But also at the same time the athletic director's job is to create revenue for the university and to protect the sports that the university decides to uh, provide for, you know, to attract um, uh, athletes, to attract, um, you know, uh, student athletes, scholars, et cetera, into their program. So when athletic director is like, I've got to protect all these sports and I need money to protect them. And then I also have to figure out how to 
get this revenue back to the university in some in a better place than they gave it to me, right? Because that's their job. Then I think you're in that situation where I don't blame them. And I think that's what's, I think the most objective thing that fans can do, which is very hard, is like sit your, put yourself in the shoes of Kentucky or South Carolina or Missouri or, you know, one of these programs um, that's not that's not the team that's going to be competing um, from for um, an SEC championship or a national championship or a college football playoff and think about the revenue that they're trying to create for their program. Um, and I think right. if you do that, then you realize like, oh, well, yeah, getting compensated for that extra game is a big deal. Um, now, for me as a fan – Let's go to nine games. Like let's do the three. Let's do the three six six model. Let's roll three permanent rivals. Rotate through the other, um, through the other teams, and and let's do it. But um, you know, it's just it's it's just a it's a tricky situation when you put it up up against the backdrop of how much money is in college football right now. Yeah, for sure, and I think the. The thing that, like, I think is kind of interesting is there was all these reports that started leaking out, I think, on Sunday, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and maybe even Friday of last week. And it was like it was kind of treated as this big surprise that the SEC might not ratify a nine game schedule this week. And it's like and I'm not I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but like there's been a lot of people that have written, uh, you know, in the sports media space as if like this nine game schedule was an inevitability especially when the playoff went to 12 Mm -hmm. and i think those are people who are pretty much uh you know their their sources are in the league office Mm -hmm. and we know that greg sankey wants to have a nine game schedule Mm -hmm. and so uh you know they're going to talk to people within the the sec offices and they're gonna be like yeah you know we're going to nine games because that creates momentum and it creates pressure on the athletic directors but every time they've put the athletic directors in a room going back a couple years now Mm -hmm. uh which is you know how long it's been i believe since we've found out texas and oklahoma are coming into the league uh summer of 2021 right this this thing is always kind of tended to swing back towards eight and it's the issues we've already talked about but it also, you know, the the assumption here that a 12-team playoff means it's better to take a loss or it's easier – not better, but that mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's, it's less of a problem to take a loss is not accurate until we've actually seen a committee that – is yeah. going to show it's not going to be ruled by the lost column. Right. You know, right. Like, everything has been hypothetical. Time. Yeah. Everything has been hypothetical. Yeah. Everyone is every, every, everything has been, <clears throat> well, schedule more um, competitive out of conference games, add more conference schedule, add more conference games to your schedule. And that's going to be okay because the committee will reward good losses or on a strong schedule. And the committee right. has never shown the <laughs> propensity to do that outside of um i mean i guess alabama in 2017 right that might be the 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 biggest example where well i mean but even then yeah, Nick, yeah. but even then their loss but, was but, their loss was to an auburn team that beat alabama and georgia <laughs> like it was you know right. it's like it, so yeah i mean but there's examples i mean you go back to uh the uh what was it the, the 2018 georgia team mm-hmm. right like uh 
that team that pushed an Alabama team that had not been in a game, you know, uh, closer than 14 points all season higher probably wins if they don't knock two out of the game. Like that team gets passed over for college football playoff spot. Right. And, and there's, and there's other conferences that have gripes. There's, there's some Ohio state teams that probably rightfully could sit there and say, you know, from a talent standpoint, we were one of the four best teams. Um, at some point, the games have to matter, right? Like, I, you right. know, I, I think like a, a two-loss Alabama team from last year, the idea of them getting into the playoff over a, a TCU game, uh, a TCU team who's undefeated unless they don't play a, an extra conference championship game, like that was a ridiculous argument, and the and the committee got it right. But there is some historical data that, that we've been like working with at Dog Central. Uh, I've been working on this for a few months with with Michael Cohen. Who's a who's a Wall Street guy who loves numbers, but you go back to uh, you know the college football playoff era, even going back to the BCS era. Every time you've put SEC teams on the field with Big Ten champions, with Pac-12 champions, with Big 12 champions, like the SEC teams uh, exceed their average net yard per play output that they've had throughout the entire regular season and the other conferences are generally like a minus one to one and a half. And so point being at some point, especially when you're talking about a 12 team playoff, that's going to have basically six automatic qualifiers, right? Five power, Mm -hmm. five conference champions and one G five, the Mm -hmm. the top ranked G five that leaves six at large bursts. And when you're fighting for those six at large bursts amongst, you know, does a, does a nine and three LSU who's had to play Georgia, Alabama, and I don't know, Oklahoma or whatever the, the good team of, of that season is, uh, are they going to get in over a, a 10 and two pit team? And until we see that, I would have hesitancy as a head coach, uh, you know, to, to go down the path of just maybe taking that extra loss. And I think if you look at how the conference championship games work, like, I'm going to kind of transition us here a little bit uh, into something that Kirby Smart said today that that I think is adjacent to this conversation. But you know, you're you're talking about these comments that he made on the SEC championship that were, I think, pretty pretty honest and pretty direct. Of just, hey, you know, if we're talking about a scenario with no divisions and mm-hmm. you've got teams playing each other without mm-hmm you know, without any sort, you know, we know that this is a 16 team league and, and all of that. Like he says, that's a lot better topic for me. Is somebody going to get an advantage by not going to the SEC championship game, but making the expanded playoff. That's a lot better topic to me than eight or nine games. And then he went on again in an answer to a different question to say the two teams that go to the SEC championship, I'm looking at it from a competitive disadvantage of you might have to play one or two weeks later after just playing that game, which will be the most physical game of the whole year. And I think all of that circles back to kind of this inherent problem of, you know, the the top four conference champions getting these buys. You know, really, they're to get those buys, they have to play in this extra conference championship game. And so they're really not getting an extra week of rest over some of these teams that set home. And there's gonna there's gonna come a year where you know you you maybe have a dominant Georgia team that uh, 
second and third place in the SEC is is still a you know head and shoulders below that team and you're getting to the final weekend of the season and one of them you know one team's got to be second one team's got to be third and you'd rather be third because you don't want to go get beat up by Georgia and play an extra game while doing it and I I think it's a problem like I think it's a problem with this expanded playoff format that is going to be solved and in a sport that wants more eyeballs uh, we know that gambling brings eyeballs and competitive integrity uh, you know, could become in question. You could have like an NFL scenario where, you know, you're resting starters maybe on the last week of the season because uh, you want to, you know, maybe you can take a loss and still go to the SEC championship so it doesn't matter and you know you're about to go get beat up by another really good team. So you you don't roll all your guys out there for a rivalry game against Georgia Tech or, you know, maybe, maybe you want to lose. I don't know. It opens a lot of scenarios, obviously, but – I, I think that is uh, – I think it's interesting that, that Kirby seems more concerned with just kind of the wear and tear of that extra game that is essentially an exhibition but still could negatively impact your seeding than he does with whether you're playing eight or nine league games. Yeah, I mean, think about – so the expanded playoff, the top – so you have the six automatic qualifiers. The top four – conference champions that are highest ranked get an autom- get a buy right and then the right. rest the eight the 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 eight who are left get to um the eight who are left coast have have play games on college campuses in the current format right so you got four that get a buy and then they're going to go play in some bowl NFL stadium somewhere and then you right. got Four who are going to host um, a playoff game on their campus, and only two of those that will host will be conference champions. They got on that qualifier. So you have two teams, you have two slots where you have the opportunity to not play in your conference championship game, potentially not play Wait. in your conference championship game, and host a playoff game. Oh so yeah. Have, yeah, 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 yeah. For so sure. You have a buy. Yeah. You have a buy because you didn't make your conference championship game. Or you make your conference championship game and you lose that game, and then you turn around and end up playing, you know, a playoff game on your on your uh, on your campus, which is probably more likely. It'll probably be the two the you probably have two that are automatic qualifiers that were conference champions, the low the G five highest ranked, the lowest ranked Power Five conference champion get, um, you know, their their they host the game, and then you have two people that lose their conversation here. But let's imagine a scenario, okay? Because this is a real scenario. Let's right. imagine a scenario where you're Georgia and you have, um, let's say, God, let's, I'm going to throw up in my mouth a little bit, but let's say Tennessee, okay? <laughs> um, let's say Georgia is undefeated and they play Tennessee in late November and Tennessee is undefeated. Georgia, if you lose that game, you miss the conference championship game, but you right. likely will be an 11 and one team with the potential to host a playoff game on your campus. Would you rather <laughs> have your buy at the conference championship week and host the college, the first football game on your campus? I know that you get a buy if you win the conference championship and all that stuff, but like it's those types of questions. When you go down that path, it does, 
it's just so you know it's just so frustrating because it's like now you're asking questions around when is the better time to lose is it better for me to lose in week 10 or 11 and not play the conference championship game and roll the dice that i actually end up hosting a cha- a, a playoff game on my camp right or is it better for me to win and then lose in the conference championship game and then turn around <laughs> And now I've played an extra game, and I and I still have to turn around and play a playoff game without a buy. Like it's just it's just very complicated. So a lot of different scenarios. I don't want to bore people with going down all the scenarios. At the end of the day, what I do think is Kirby Smart. You're going to hear him talk a lot about. He, he I do think he he doesn't care if it's eight or nine games, um, right? Conference, but you will hear him talk a lot about those buys, where playoff games are played. What you know, all of that stuff I think really deeply matters to him when it comes to scheduling. Because for me, you know, again, I I mean, if SEC, if it's a if it's a difference between I don't get a buy, I have to play in the SEC championship game, and I'm potentially going to lose, and then end up having to turn right around and play a playoff game, or I can just not go to that SEC championship game, <laughs> and right. I can turn around and have to play a playoff game. It's like. The, the 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 answer you know logically is like dude just don't play the the the, cha- the championship game because like you might you know you might lose that game anyway you might get people hurt and then you're gonna have to turn around in three weeks and play a playoff game well and that just doesn't make sense yeah and i mean i think you also he also brought up basically the scenario of you know that second place team that team that loses the sec championship uh, under the bowl system, there was basically the assurances that like that team is going to get the, you know, the the second best bowl bid right. that the the conference has to yeah. offer. And I think what he's asking for is that that second place team, that SEC championship loser, uh, is is ensured to be the second highest seeded team from the league when the playoff field comes out. And I think that's reasonable. I think that's reasonable for every conference. If, yeah. if they're, you know, not every conference's championship game loser is going to make the, the playoff field because let's be honest, you know, the, the PAC 12 and, and some of these other leagues are kind of, there, there's not going to be the, the kind of power programs there that, that mm-hmm. demand playoff spots year after year, or at least multiple playoff spots. But um yeah. Yeah, it's it's something worth watching. Uh, I think we've we've done a a good job of sort of detailing the yeah. the news of the day, and we got a lot of subscriber questions, which is I know yeah. uh, something that a lot of you guys are here for. So let's, let's get into that. Um, all right, we've got quite a few here. Um, Hunter. You're you're going first up on the board here. Okay, Hunter wants to know any this is basically two questions, Hunter. You cheated. Uh no, it's fine. <laughs> we appreciate you. Thank you for your uh patronage to dogcentral.com. Uh any silent commits in the 2024 class. Um yeah, we've talked about this on our website. Uh I believe that Georgia has not believe, I mean like I, I feel like I know for a fact, although silent commits are always one of those things where it's like well, you know, if he's really committed, then why, why isn't he just a public commit? Uh, you know, Justice Haynes was a silent commit at one point, so they said, and then he ended up at Alabama, right? So, I mean, take it all with a grain of salt. But uh, 
I, I feel confident in saying that Georgia has at least two very, very high profile recruits uh, silently committed right now. Uh, do, do you have any difference of opinion on that, John? I know they have two. It's just a matter of if they're going to stick. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. Yeah. Um, and then Hunter asked over under three and a half commits from this weekend. So I don't know about this, like, you know, how many guys will actually go public this weekend while they're in town, but I am going to pull up Jason's very nifty uh, official visit tracker that he, mm-hmm. we have pinned on the top of dogcentral.com. And I mean, going down the list, like I think that there's, there's a lot of guys on that list that, mm-hmm. uh, that I think, you know, I mean, I'm counting, Maybe, maybe three that could be uh, commitments, you know, in the very near mm-hmm. future that are going to, yep. I mean, like they're going to have a lot of guys there that are already committed as well. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you're talking about, if I'm not mistaken, you've got Wingo on campus this weekend, five-star receiver. You have, uh, Ellis Robinson, who's a commit that's going to be on campus this weekend, who's the number one cornerback in the nation and is also a five-star. And then you've got Rayola. You've got Williams Noineri. I might have messed up your name, Williams. I apologize. I'll get it right, especially if you do commit to Georgia. Williams uh, is the number one DL in the country per a couple of flights. So, yeah, let's we'll figure – we'll work on his name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you've got another five-star edge defender in Dylan Stewart. So, and then you've got a five-star defensive lineman in Justin Scott. By my count, you have, I believe, seven mm-hmm. five-star players on campus this weekend to go with uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I think nine four-star guys, and that that number seems to be growing every day. So. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think in terms of guys that will actually be on campus this weekend that end up in the 2024 class, that number is probably over three and a half. That's my guess. Yeah, I would say, I would say the number from this weekend will be over three and a half. I think the number that actually commit this weekend will be under three and a half, but I do think Georgia gets, uh, I think they definitely get one. They definitely get – they probably get two, and then there's a potential for three from – like that happened this weekend or, you know, r- directly after. But I think over the course of the rest of the recruiting cycle, uh, they'll definitely get more than three and a half from this weekend. I agree. All right, moving on. Um, Zachary Wilson wants to know, who do you think UGA gets at running back in the 2024 class? And this is kind of an interesting one because mm-hmm. you've, it seems like there's been a lot of different guys in play lately. Uh, do you have any thoughts on this, John, before I, uh, I, um, I think, uh, I mean, that's a good question. I do. I do think Jarrett Gibson is a real possibility. Um, this point. That's interesting. Um, but um, yeah, I don't know. I'll let you go. I don't. I don't really. I mean, Georgia. You know, 
pretty deep at running back right now, and you already got a commit um, from Dwight Phillips back in January. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I feel like Phillips ends up in this class oh. for sure, Yeah, right? And then uh, I would kind of be surprised to see them take three running backs, uh, especially because you've got – you kind of have that duo of Branson Robinson and Andrew Paul mm-hmm. that are that are sort of sitting there, and those guys are going to be the dudes for a couple of years. Um, you got you got you also have Savon Clark that decided to come out of the portal and stay at Georgia, which tells you like that was a guy a running back. Yeah, that was a running back that was in the portal, and they convinced him. However, they convinced him to stay, or he chose to stay, but they let him stay. Um, which means, which tells you something about, I think, what they're what what they're looking at in terms of what they're going to take in this class. Um, yeah, I, I think the guy that I have been keeping a close eye on is uh, Nate Frazier, mm. who is a Matter Day kid mm-hmm. from uh, Southern California, mm-hmm. and Georgia's in on a lot of Matter Day kids mm-hmm. in this class, um, but. Yeah, he feels like one of those that, you know, he came on campus uh, sort of around the spring game. I believe it was the weekend after the spring game. So May 20 – or I'm sorry, April 22nd uh, is what when it was. Um, but kind of felt like he was maybe close to, to, to popping there, a guy that's probably a little bit underrated. I mean, he's still a four-star recruit, but – he plays on a super team and he plays with like two other running backs who are going to be high level D one prospects. So he splits a lot of carries. So he doesn't really have the eye popping numbers, but uh, definitely kind of that home run hitter style back. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, it's interesting because Georgia's got a lot of, I think physical bruiser type guys on the roster and um, you know, the, the question I think for 2023 that we, that we've been asked on this show a lot so far this off season is like, does Georgia have that pass catcher type of guy mm-hmm. on the, the roster for 2023? And we can, we can debate. I'm sure we'll debate that again another half dozen times between yeah. now and September. But um, I think with Frazier and Dwight Phillips and possibly Jared Gibson or um, Christian Clark, you know, I, I mean, yeah, another guy. I think Georgia's looking at a lot of guys. I mean, Dwight Phillips is a guy who, like, mm-hmm. I've had people say, you know, he he could probably be a legit wide receiver prospect yeah. at the next level because yeah. he's just that twitchy. So, yeah. um, interested to see sort of who they complement him with because that dude's freaky athletic wise mm-hmm. and and like top speed wise. Yeah. Um, but Gibson. Gibson popping up on the visit list for this weekend was like a really big surprise I think, I, to a lot of people. I mean, if you look at the if you look at the the depth, the position, and how Georgia has recruited it, I think there's a I th- I personally think there's a real possibility. Doesn't mean that you know you got a long way to go. I think the biggest thing with Georgia is just I they obviously need depth at this running back position, so I won't be surprised to see them take a couple more. Um, I, it would be hard for me to see them take three, but they could because you saw them, you know, Savon Clark came out of the, out of the portal. They got, um, 
uh, Lenneth Whitehead from Tennessee transferring in. It's like they have – right. Yeah, I, I mean, that. they just got yeah. guys that they're obviously trying to build depth um, for this year, obviously. But that tells you a little bit around what the room looks like from a depth standpoint going – you know, if you look ahead into next year, um, if they're taking those kind of guys. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, we are going to transition off recruiting for a minute. Don't worry. We will transition back back to it. Uh, so this is a question about Siobhan Bullard Hmm. from dog God, dog God. That is an excellent use. Dog God. Dog God. He should should have done uh, D a W G G a W D. Ooh. What is that called? Dog God. Uh, it's not quite a palindrome, but it's, that's right. It's close though. It's close. This is a close one. Yeah. Dwag. Dwag. Um, Dog. Okay. So, All right. Javon Bullard uh, for Georgia last year um, was not a guy who played the most snaps on the team in the secondary. Uh, that would have been Malachi Starks, mm-hmm. if you were wondering, closely followed by Christopher Smith. But he was uh, the MVP of the SEC championship game the MVP of football playoff semifinal uh, and the MVP of the national championship game, defensive MVP for all three of those. So a uh, pretty decent college football player, if you had to ask me. Um, and he did that last year in that star role at Georgia, which, uh, you know, is kind of that uh, it's almost like a Sam linebacker in a way. Uh, it's kind of that hybrid position that, uh, can, can cover a slot receiver, but also plays at the line of scrimmage. So can fight through blockers, tackle running backs, uh, be used as a blitzer. Um, maybe the, the most perfect star in SEC history was probably Tyron Matthew at LSU, if that, that mm-hmm. gives our viewers an idea of what we're talking about. But we saw Javon at the, uh, at the strong safety position on G-Day. Uh, lined up next to Malachi Starks in Christopher Smith's old spot. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, Dog God is wondering if Georgia wants Bullard to be on, on the field all the time, which is a good point by him because that star position is not always in on every uh, defensive package that Georgia runs. Then why not just put him at the cornerback spot opposite of Lassiter instead of moving him to safety? It's not big enough. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 that's no disrespect to Javon Bullard, but Georgia plays those. Georgia plays big, long guys that are very fast. Um, Keely Ringo, you know, 6'2, 205. Um, Kamari Lassiter is, is up there as well. Um, sorry, I'm, I wasn't quite prepared. I'm like looking up heights and weights, but, um, he's big. Uh, but he's got a big he's wingspan. Six, yeah. He's, he's 6'1, uh, 200 ish. Um, and so that's, you know, the, that's the biggest thing is, is for, um, Javon Bullard, you know, they have him listed at five eleven, which means he's probably five, about five, five, nine and a half, five ten. <laughs> Um, and, uh, and so I think, you know, I think that's part of it. I think the other thing is, I don't know how fast Javon Bullard is, but like G- Georgia, the folks that are going to put him at the, at the, at the, even, even not that, even not even if you're playing opposite of a boundary corner, you're going to have to have wingspan and speed. And, um, 
Yeah, I think that's the main reason, if you ask me. I also think they really, really like him inside in that in that run game, man. He's so physical. It's mm-hmm. like it would be I, – I mean, to me, it would be a waste uh, putting him out there and, you know, letting folks run him off the ball um, to try to take him out of the run game. Um, when they can have him play that star position, he can operate as more of a linebacker sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think it's going to be interesting because it, mm-hmm. it does seem like he's sort of primed to play that strong safety spot. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you look at what Georgia does with that position, it, like Christopher Smith, th- there were times in his career where, you know, he's lined up uh, face mask to face mask with a slot receiver. Yeah. There's times where he's dropping back playing cover two. And a lot of the big plays that Javon made last year, um, Think about the hit he put on Marvin Harrison. Like Oof. those were situations. Legal, clean hit. The very legal, very clean. No, very legal, hit. clean hit. No helmet to helmet. CC Ryan. Watch Day. a replay. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was uh, that was the situation where he's dropped back in zone, and and you know what what Georgia asked their safeties to do a lot is play zone, but they also uh, asked those guys to have the awareness to come downhill and fill lanes. And what we know about Javon Bullard is that dude will stick his nose into any pile. And so, you know, in terms of a run defense scenario, uh, you you feel very comfortable with him. And I think if you look at like the modern college football game, uh, you look at some of the teams that Jordan plays every year, Tennessee would probably be the best example of this. Like, Hypo plays this game of find the duck, right? Like find me one matchup that I can go to over and over all day. Last year it was, uh, you know, the, the Alabama game, uh, five touchdowns to the same guy. Uh, DeMarco so, Helms, yeah. He picked yeah, on DeMarco yeah. Helms, yeah. Over and over. Um, and, and, and he so tried, I think – And he tried to do that with Bullard early in the, early in the game. Um, yeah, he did it to Brinny two years ago yeah. in Knoxville, and then they they took him out of the game. Out of Georgia. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then we never saw him again ever <laughs> at Georgia. But they just Brinny, man. He came out of that game at Tennessee and Knoxville, and never to be seen again. Wasn't really happy about it. Yeah, um, but I think for Georgia, from a like just a scheme standpoint, uh, you can bring Bullard on a safety blitz. Mm-hmm. You can trust that he's going to fill your run lanes, and then what Christopher Smith did a lot at that strong safety position in most situations, especially against these like, uh, you know, four and five wide receiver offenses is he played man coverage and uh, he played man coverage against slot receivers and Javon Bullard. I think, you know, you said earlier, we don't really know exactly what his straight line speed is, but we know that he has elite agility and covering slot receivers is mostly about being able to, uh, you know, stay inside on a, on an eight to 12 yard slant pattern or something like, like that. So um, I think it's a good fit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the, that's the, him being a good fit there is also dependent on Tyke Smith, uh, you know, being able to do all the things that Javon Buller did at star last year uh, at star, you know, I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of the plan it seems like, and yeah. guys, you know, you knock on wood and hope, everyone stays healthy, but over the course of a, a long SEC schedule, that's yeah. there's going to be times where people move around. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think Javon Bullard is still cross-training at both those spots. 
I think so too. But one last point, and not to belabor it because I know we got a lot of questions to get to, but um, I think the main reason that you don't put Javon Bullard at that cornerback spot opposite Lassiter is is you the guys you have, right? You have Dalen Everett. Like you got you have some dudes on that team, and so it's not. Yes, you want Bullard on the field all the time, but you also want some of these other guys on the field all the time too. You know, I think you're in that you're in that situation where this defense is um, so loaded and so talented that um, there's not one player that you look at. If if Javon Bullard was that guy, if Javon Bullard was like, we need him on the field all the time, then I think Georgia fans would be I think you should be a little bit concerned but it's like they don't have him on the field all the time because they don't need him on the field all the time and they've got other guys that they do want on the field <laughs> a good bit and it's just a great time great time to to be a Georgia fan yeah Georgia is gonna you know I think you're gonna see a lot of guys play in the secondary for Georgia over the first hundred percent because I don't really think they know what they have back there. No, and I think early in the season, I mean, we'll t- we can talk about this week schedule um, at some point, but early in the season, you're gonna have plenty of games where you can rotate guys in. I think that secondary might get rotated like the defensive front there for a little while. <laughs> it's like for sure. we're gonna see just, we're just gonna see a whole different secondary on you know a third down package or something wild because um, yeah, there's gonna be plenty of opportunity for playing time early on. Um, all right, we're gonna take a question from the chat because we Let's definitely want to. Uh, we definitely appreciate all you guys who and gals uh, who watch us live. We want to reward you for doing that. Um, Aiden Cruz, my guy, uh, always always engaged on Aiden. Twitter. We really appreciate you, Aiden. Um, thank you for your loyal viewership. Uh, you would like to know how much of a legit chance does Georgia have of flipping Jeremiah Smith from Ohio State? Uh, John, you go first. I think Georgia has a great chance. Do I think it's going to happen? I, Man, I think this is going to be one that legitimately, even if he flips from Ohio State, let's say he decides to flip this summer in June or July or whatever, I still think it's going to come down to the wire. Because I think as long as Brian Hartline is at Ohio State, I think Jeremiah Smith has um, – a great respect and a great bond and the results that Brian Hartline has put forth speak for themselves. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I, I would say, and some of the folks that I've talked to have said before his last visit, I think, and before the Dylan Rayola commit to Georgia, I think Georgia definitely felt like they you know they they always feel like they're in these recruiting battles and more and more getting more and more into them with some of these elite wide receivers and skill players um and i i thought georgia you know always felt like they had a chance they never think they're necessarily out of it but i think getting him in town with dylan rayola after rayola mm-hmm. committed i think has put georgia in a re- like i think those guys <laughs> think they really, really, really have a chance. Um, and I also think um, Brian McClendon, man, do not do not underestimate Brian McClendon's ability to reel in these guys. Um, the guy has been an elite recruiter his entire career. I mean, this is a guy who he's a, he's a wide receiver position coach, but he is 
uh, recruited guys like, you know, Todd Gurley and Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb and all these other folks. And so um, yeah. I think, I think um, the combination of Brian McClendon being able to build a relationship with Jeremiah Smith, Dylan Rayola committing, um, I think Georgia has a great chance. Yeah, I agree. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, but, I, I'm assuming there will be people who watch this that uh, are not currently on our Dog Central forum. So we'll just share what we shared there, you know, over the, the last week, which is that, like, he, I think, came off that visit. And uh, I, I think that his, like you said, the Brian Hartline relationship is very real. Uh, I mean, he, Jeremiah Smith told told Dog Central in an interview that he thinks that Brian Hartline is the best receivers coach in the history of the sport. Correct. Okay, so like that's that's a you know that's legit. And, that's a big thing. And, and it's hard to argue with him. No, it is. Yeah, especially <laughs> I mean over the last fuck what five ten years decade. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very very prolific. Uh, but Rayola sat down with him, and and Kirby Smart sat down with him, and all these people, and and I think Jeremiah Smith knows that. Uh, Georgia offers things that Ohio State doesn't offer in every other category. And he also has a great respect and relationship for Brian McClendon as well, as you kind of pointed out. So, you know, I, I think whenever uh, I hear that conversations are happening between a guy like Rayola and Smith about, hey, you know, like I had those hard conversations, Rayola to Smith mm -hmm. yeah. saying, you know, like I, I told these guys, no, I decommitted yeah. from them. I know what it's like to pick up the phone mm -hmm. and talk to Ryan day uh, and say, Hey, I'm not coming here. I also know what it's like to pick up the phone and call my uncle uh, mm -hmm. who was a coach in Nebraska and say, I'm not going there. Mm -hmm. Like those are very interesting things. Cause you know, you're, it's just a little bit different than, Hey, we got him on campus and uh, you know, we showed him the dining hall and it was really great. And I, I think there's real discussions going on there. Jeremiah Smith was wearing Georgia gear at a workout on Sunday. Um, mm -hmm. So it's going to be one to follow till the end. And, um, you know, I think it could be one of those where if, if he was to end up at Georgia, I don't know that you ever see him formally decommit from Ohio state. I just think you, you see him flip to Georgia. Cause I, I think he's yeah. a, I think he's a really sweet kid, honestly. And I think he's kind of a shy, quiet kid and he doesn't want to let anybody down. And, and I think some of the pressure of uh, the Ohio state fan base that's being put on him on social media for, for popping up with a Georgia shirt on or for going to Athens uh, is a nuisance to him. And he Dude, probably doesn't want he, to deal with it. He tweeted about it. He tweeted. Yeah. He was getting so much vitriol from the Ohio state fan base Here's a 17-year-old kid that is committed to your school, but is taking his visits, doing his thing. The one time he'll get to have his recruiting process in his life. Well, I guess the transfer portal, maybe he'll get to have it again if he, you know, who knows. But <laughs> you can have it every year guess, if you want. I guess it's a little bit different these days. But he's, you know, like he's doing his thing and got so much vitriol that he had to tweet to Ohio State fans. I thought taking a visit was a part of the process like i mean come on um i'm not surprised i mean those people have to live in places like cleveland and if i had to live in cleveland um i you know i just if i had to live in cleveland i don't know what kind of person i would be just candidly 
Um, shout out. Sorry, <laughs> oh my God. In Cleveland. Sorry. And call dog fans that live in Cleveland, but God, Cleveland, ugh. Cleveland is yeah. Cleveland sucks. Um, it Cleveland. does not rock. Okay. Anyway, enough about Cleveland, but listen, at the end of the day, uh, yes, I think Georgia has a good chance, but what I will say is if Brian Hartline, if you're listening, Brian Hartline, I know you have been courted by the NFL routinely. I know you've been courted by some college football teams. If you want to take another job, I, for one, I'm just one little old guy uh, here outside of Atlanta, but if you want to take another job, I would be so for it and so supportive of you. So Mm -hmm. if you're thinking about taking another job, Brian Hartline, know that John Tweet Sports has your back. Very supportive of you taking another job. But as long as he's at Ohio State, we're just going to have to wait and see. Yeah, man. Well, I mean, look. This is I what know. happens. I can't go well, in on Al- I can't uh, go in on Alabama anymore because they suck. So I got to go in on Ohio State. Look, dude, Brian Hartline, don't you want to go to the MAC? I mean, come on, man. Don't you want to be the head coach at like Toledo? Wouldn't oh, that be an God. awesome way Akron? to spend the next twenty years of your life? Yeah, Toledo. Toledo. Our guy Joe Moorhead's at Akron, so we're not firing Joe Moorhead because yeah. we like Joe Moorhead on this show. No. Oh. I will say, listen, I will say, Cincinnati and Columbus are pretty good places to live. Cleveland, are they though? I mean, it is. It's still Ohio. Columbus you got to live around Ohioans. Um, yeah. All right, I've, I've insulted. Ohio Cali. is just Florida without a beach. All right, moving on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Harry, another loyal listener of ours, has concerns. Hey, Harry. He has concerns about Georgia's offensive line. Concerns is too strong of a word. Sorry, I don't. I don't want to um, put words in your mouth, Harry. But uh, it is a legitimate question that is to be raised. Georgia's recruiting class is currently ranked number one in the country, and and it's going to be good. Um, but what's made Georgia dominant over the last? couple seasons is uh that they just bludgeon people to death on the line of scrimmage and and they don't have a ton of guys committed right now on the line of scrimmage um harry wants to know about the pursuit of the big uglies um you, you did see georgia sign uh marcus harrison uh last week uh, a six eight 330 pound <laughs> offensive tackle from mm-hmm. hamburg new york uh so that's that's it sounds like an ex- honestly like his story kind of reminds me a little of like uh Devin Willick, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. big guy, um huge wingspan, like apparently he has like I think like an eight foot wingspan or something ridiculous. Um so he'll be one to watch. Uh mm-hmm. but the the truth is that uh this class, this 2024 cycle is pretty light on um tackle prospects yeah. like there's not very many of them nationally uh and i think that the big prize is brandon baker mm-hmm. uh out of matter day and that's a guy that george is in on in a pretty major way mm-hmm. but he uh it, how many times do you see a recruiting cycle where the number one offensive tackle is a six five two eighty five that's pretty mm-hmm. that's pretty small for an offensive tackle is B not a five star mm-hmm. not yeah, not very no, often no five star offensive tackles yeah so I, I think this is gonna be a situation where you see Georgia 
doing a lot of uh, senior year evaluation, a lot mm-hmm. of getting guys on campus and, uh, you know, putting eyes on them themselves, which is what they did with the, the Flynn kid a couple times. Nobody commits to Georgia without working out for Kirby Smart uh, and other, you know, and the position coaches on the staff. So I think it's going to be one where you got to kind of watch and, and see, you know, yeah. see, see who Georgia's talking to here. Yeah. The other one I'll mention is Daniel Calhoun. I know Georgia's in on too. Um, I think he's the number five um, offensive tackle um, in the, um, Yes. In the recruiting rankings. So you got Brandon Baker, Daniel Calhoun, you know. Um, but yeah, it's it's not a deep class. Um unfortunately. It, what I will say comparatively, right? You mentioned no five star offensive tackles. Last year there were six five stars. Um mm-hmm. offensive there you go. So, Perfect. uh Georgia got one of them in in Monroe Freeling. So um I think you know Georgia's recruited pretty well. I do think um the good news is uh I know that you know, Georgia is in a position where we haven't seen we haven't seen Georgia take many players from the portal. They've all been very strategic. But if you right. look at this class and you say, hey, the offensive line depth isn't that isn't that deep. I think Georgia has an opportunity to potentially pull one or two in a transfer portal in, you know, in the 2024 offseason um, as well, um, if that's a, something that they need to do. Yeah, and that's going to be an interesting thing to see because so far, like, we've seen very few elite linemen hit the transfer portal, especially offensive linemen. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, part of that is that the uh, the best programs in the country are usually kind of already taken care of at the offensive yep. line. So yeah. – um, We'll keep an eye on it. And definitely, uh, I mean, Jason uh, does a ton of great recruiting work. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's ahead of the game on on all of that stuff. So uh, check out check out the Dog Central Forum because I'm, I'm sure there will be some OL intel come out of these these upcoming visit weekends in the month of June. Um, let's see here. Uh, all right, this is probably going to be our last question of the show, and it's kind of a fun one. Um, so Charlie W. Took, took us back to the year 2019, a painful one for the Georgia offense, but a uh, pretty fun one if you were a fan of Junkyard Dogs defense. Man, we and, wasted such a good defense. <laughs> yeah, you could All say right, that a couple about of times. Gosh, 2020, you did too, yeah. Yeah, um, but man, that 2019 defense was so good. Okay. Yeah, it was It was good. It was, yeah, I mean, if not for the 2021 defense, it's probably the best of the Kirby. Yeah, uh, and if era. not for 2019 LSU. Um, but, yes, anyways, you've got uh, the, these third down packages that Georgia – uh, runs, you know, particularly in true third and long situations, obvious passing downs. And he talked about uh, you had Trevon Walker, Nolan Smith, and Tyreek Stevenson on the field for those packages, uh, which is, I think, we're all true freshmen at the time. Um, and he's kind of curious what we think that the 2023 third down packages would, would look like, maybe who are sort of the uh, pass rush specialists and I think is uh, interested in sort of the comp between uh, this this group of freshman defenders and 
the uh, 2019 group of freshman defenders. Hmm. So, I mean, I think for me, the, the interesting thing is you've got Damon Wilson, a five-star defensive end or a five-star edge. He's, he's really a yeah. true edge, not a defensive end. Um, yeah. And then you've got Samuel and Pimba, who was a, another five-star edge. Uh, Gabe Harris, who was a high four-star edge. So you've got a lot of young pass rushing talent, but you also have like this group of rising sophomores like Marvin Jones Jr., who is, uh, I mean, he's the the edge rusher that you build in the lab. You, you've got, um, you know, these kind of other sort of hybrid players. Like you, you've got Darius Smith. Uh, you've got Xavier yep. Sori at inside linebacker now, but we'll yeah, EJ Lightsey. EJ is going to be good, man. Yeah. yeah, and you saw you saw Sori play some edge last year during the mm-hmm. season for Georgia. I think he played a significant number of snaps in the Auburn game at that spot. You've got Jalen Walker, who had you know uh, I think I think he he led Georgia in pressures in the national title game. Uh, yep. and now he's maybe moving back to inside linebacker, and so. Yeah, in this front seven, like you've got Mondin and Dumas Johnson, and we know those guys are going to be there. And you've got, I mean, what's really interesting about Georgia's front seven is just uh, the amount of really talented three tech defensive tackles that they have. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Warren Brinson is a phenomenal pass rusher, uh, has, has shown that for years in a row now. Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I don't have the answer because there's so much talent to pick through, but I think it's tough for me to uh, to say that the 2023 group of freshman defenders is, you know, at least at the the high end of the class, the ones that we might see on the field is going to be better than the the 2019 because you have a number one overall draft pick in there, and then you have a uh, you know, Nolan that went Mm -hmm. to the Eagles in the first round and Stevenson was a a five-star prospect who, uh, you know, wanted to play corner. So he went to Miami to do that, but just his physical talent was, was so good that he was a, you know, a day two draft pick in the NFL. So I think Damon Wilson is like, there's a couple moments on G day that you can go back and look at. And it's like, I think he comes in a little more uh, with, with a little more pass rush savvy and a little better hands than what Nolan mm-hmm. Smith showed up on campus with, but mm-hmm. athletically uh, we still don't think really know enough about some of these other guys. And I don't know who, you know, I guess Gabe Harris would be the, the closest comp for Trevon Walker in that, you know, Harris would be kind of more of that true defensive end size mm-hmm. than an edge. And uh, I think he's going to be a really good football player, but, Trevon Walker had arguably the best NFL combine of all time. Um, so I, I don't think it's fair to uh, an 18-year-old kid to kind of expect that. Yeah. So my you know, my my debate when it comes to comparing players or groups of players, it's always kind of like how how do you how do you define talented? Um, you know, like I think there is athleticism, there's football savvy, there's, you know, um uh all of those natural, like the natural instincts, there's all those things that come in that come into play with everyone. 
I'll say I think that this fresh this group of freshmen is going to push that 2019 group for um for being more talented than them. Um if you look and I don't know, you know, I don't know who all were including. I know the he mentioned Walker, Nolan Smith and Stevenson. If you look, mm-hmm. you know, and just compare directly to those three, it's kind of like the straight line in those positions. It's kind of like, yeah, I don't I don't know. It is hard to find somebody who's going to be more talented from just a pure like instincts and athleticism standpoint than Trayvon Walker in this class. But I think if you look at the group as a whole, I think I think this group has the potential. You obviously have to wait and see, but I think this group has a potential from a talent standpoint. I mean, you got guys um, in totality, right? You got in all the positions on the defense. You got guys like AJ Harris and Jonel Aguero and you know CJ Allen and yeah. Raylan Wilson. Like you got, you just got some dudes on this defense in that freshman class. And so I think at the end of the day, I think that's, that's it's TBD. I would say if you, if, if you ask me today, is this group going to be more or less talented? I would say probably less from just a pure kind of NFL prospect standpoint. Um, But if you ask, you know, from a from a football standpoint in the college at the in the SEC level, I think this group is definitely going to be as talented as that group. Yeah, and I mean, I think yeah. if you're looking at just yeah. if I'm building a uh, a third down group of pure yeah. pass rushers, it's third and twelve yeah. on yeah. the road in Jordan Hare Stadium. Um, I want Michael Williams out there at defensive end. Yep, I, I want. Uh, I want Warren Brinson and Ingram Dawkins playing on the mm-hmm. inside. Mm-hmm. I want probably Marvin Jones Jr. at that Jack kind of linebacker spot. Correct. Uh, at inside linebacker, I want either Monda or Sori uh, coming down to come mm-hmm. off the edge or to come on a delayed blitz up the middle. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the group, but I mean, you know uh, – <laughs> Dumas Johnson, I think, had the highest. Uh, I think he had the highest pass rush percentage hit of any Georgia front seven player last year in terms of turning pressure mm. uh, pressure opportunities into pressures. And then I talked earlier about you know the the player that that I feel like uh, Jalen Walker is. Mm-hmm. Like I think he could be a Tittle type guy who is sort of that quarterback spy uh, on third downs, and then if a lane opens up he takes off and hawks down the quarterback because he's much faster than the opposing quarterback. So it could be a very scary uh, group. And I, and I do think that especially after the injuries that we saw to Georgia's kind of edges at the end of last season, um, Georgia, I think Georgia's going to have a lot of sacks earlier and early in the season with just the amount of talented guys are going to be rotating in and, uh, the, the level of competition they're going to face the first few weeks. God, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and Schumann's on record. Being I like, mean, we're playing. Sacks, you we're know, playing Ball State, UT Mart. We better have some sacks, man. Come yeah, on, because I'm really tired of every NFL draft it being like Nolan Smith only had six and a half sacks. Man, last year. come on. Are you sure, he's a first round pick. It's like, well, how many times did home? You know, I mean. Uh, we won't have that many because you know they're those guys are going to be running the ball just trying to get out of the game. But 
Well, and Georgia's going to two gap. That's what Georgia does, right? Like they they play yeah. both gaps and they play a uh, you know a gap sound assignments down st- style of football, and they just kind of collapse the pocket, or yeah. you know, or there's a, a lane that opens up for an inside linebacker to to swallow yeah, up a quarterback. Yeah. No, I'm just tired. I'm tired of every NFL draft. To your point, seeing well, look at his production. It's like God, come on. Let's just get to the quarterback, please. Pad some stats against these cupcakes. <laughs> I need it for my rival tweets. Come on. Do me a solid, human. Um, Absolutely. All right. Um, do you want to do you want to take two like you want to take one minute and answer this question about Carson Beck real quick from Aiden? Sure. Hit it. Uh the question oh, is uh okay. the only other question. What are some realistic realistic expectations for Carson Beck this season in y'all's opinion. Um I, I'll I'll go real quick rapid fire because we are at time. Um no you're good. You're good. My I'm realistic expectations for Carson Beck are um that he he has the potential to surpass from a production standpoint what Stetson Bennett and other QBs in recent Georgia history have done. I think Carson Beck has all the tools to go out there and throw for 3,500, 4,000 yards if we want to put that up. Uh, my 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 thing, the question that I have in my mind when it comes to setting realistic expectations for Carson Beck is what? how is he taking care of his mentals? Um, as – Yeah. Yeah. Um, Marshawn Lynch used to say, I mean, for Carson Beck, this game for him is not athletic at this point. He has all the tools. The dude can spin it. What he doesn't have that he's going to have to find for himself is that chutzpah that Stetson Bennett had in the moment when the heat is on. Can you, you know, stand in there and stand in the paint and deliver the goods and make teams pay when they are coming at you, trying to confuse you, throwing packages at you, like doing all the things that teams are going to do to him. Um, is he taking care of his mentals? Does he have that? Does he have that gamer in him? And so from a realistic standpoint, I think, you know, for me, I think Carson Beck is going to, you know, throw for 2,500 to 3,000 yards, probably about 30 touchdowns. I do think Georgia's going to go undefeated. Um, in the regular season, I think 12 and 0 is easy for Carson Beck. Um, but there's gonna be the time where we're gonna, gonna be the Ohio out. State fourth quarter, correct? We're gonna find out is he that dude or not? And that for me is the only question that I have between can Carson Beck be in that upper echelon of QBs? that potentially even get invited to New York. I don't think he's gonna win the Heisman, but like, could he be that guy? He has the talent too, yeah. and he has, and he definitely has the talent around him. But man, that that um that mental aspect is so big for him. Yeah, I think there's like this kind of there's a faction of the Georgia fan base that looks at the roster and looks at the wide receiver talent that has been both recruited and uh, brought in through the transfer portal, and assumes like, well, this is the year that Georgia's going, you know, four wide. Uh, with Brock Bowers at tight end, uh, you know, as the in line, and there's going to be five dudes 
running routes on uh, 75% of these plays and we're going to air it out and Carson Beck, you know, could throw for 5,000 yards. That's just not, in my personal opinion, like that's not how Georgia got here. So I don't think that's how they're going to try and uh, win a third straight title. Like, and, I mean, go watch the first couple of series of G day with the first team offense. There's two yeah. tight ends on the field, you know, like there's, there's going to be uh, Georgia wants to dominate the line of scrimmage. They want to control the line of scrimmage because that's the best thing they can do to protect Carson Beck. That is how they can dictate terms in a football game. Like they can do all of those things and those things don't involve throwing the ball 40 times a game. So this idea that Georgia is all of a sudden going to like, you know, turn into uh, even more of a pass heavy offense, I think is, is incorrect. And, and I, I go back to Georgia's come from behind win at Missouri last year where, you know, I think Stetson threw for 300 something yards in that game, but like Georgia couldn't run the football efficiently for, uh, you know, two and a half, three quarters in Columbia. And uh, that put a ton of pressure on the passing game and the passing game wasn't really clicking at times. And Georgia almost got beat. And Kirby said after that game, like maybe we've put too much on Stetson. And I think that, the the strength of Georgia's team this season, at least for me on paper, is their offensive line. I think the offensive line is the best unit on the football team, and there's a lot of really good units, but I think this offensive line could be Kirby Smart's best since he's been in, in Athens. And so I think they're going to run the ball a lot, and I think they're going to, you know, I think they're going to establish the run and that they're going to build passing off of that. And, uh, you know, this, there's still uh, – a lot of nerdiness that goes on on this show. Like, I don't think people realize that in the sport of college football, play action passes are three times more effective than at your normal drop back passes. And so, if you know Georgia what's also assist- happening? What's it's also happening in college and NFL? Quarterbacks are going under center at a higher percentage in 2022 yeah. than they did over the past four years. So. Yeah, and the pendulum swinging back to the middle a little bit, um, yeah. and and I think that like Georgia, you know Carson Beck, the I think he has shown himself to be a gamer, mm-hmm. just you know going off of like practice reports and scrimmage reports for years now, he would maybe show up at practice on a Wednesday afternoon and not look very intense and you know kind mm-hmm. of have some lazy turnovers or some bad reads or some poor footwork at times. But like when it's time to scrimmage, when it's G day, uh, the, the dude balls out. And I think that you talked about the mentals. The question is like, can he bring that intensity every day? Because what, whether he wants to be or not, he is in a leadership position on this football team now. And I've heard good things over the last you know month about sort of just like where he is and his work habits. And I think that, he is very aware of the opportunity that he has. And I think he's embracing that opportunity and that's a good sign. But as you said, like, I don't know what I don't know. And until the chips are down, we won't know everything that we need to know about Carson Beck. Uh, just cause yeah, like we need to see what happens if he comes out and he, you know, Georgia has a game like they did at Missouri last year where everybody's sleepwalking and things are a little messed up. Um, so I'm interested to see it, but I, I, I guess from a statistical standpoint, I expect Georgia to kind of 
kind of ease them into this. And I still, I still want to remind everybody of like the long con theory that, you know, that I had last year around Todd Monken. I, I think that's, that's Kirby smarts philosophy as well as like, we're not going to put anything on tape that we don't have to put on tape. So I think you're going to see a lot of vanilla offense for the first few weeks of the season. And, and, you know, when, when it comes time to play some kind of lower tier SEC opponents, you're going to see it too. You're going to see Georgia run basic draws and, you know, you're going to see a lot of just like kind of regular stuff because Georgia's not going to, burn a bunch of stuff on tape that they could save for later in the season in the pursuit of padding anyone's stats. Um, I don't know if that answers the question, Aiden, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I think that I think his ceiling is probably higher than what Stetson Bennett's ceiling ever was, but uh, I just don't know with, in terms of realistically how the, how the, the offense is going to operate, how the season is going to play out if we do see, you know, him, him become the second quarterback to throw for 4,000 yards in UGA history, just because I don't think they're going to have to do that to win football games. I agree. All right. Good stuff. Well, yeah, this was a blast. Uh, Great being back on the air with you, John. Mm -hmm. And thank you all for uh, participation in the live chat. There's been a lot of you watching live. Uh, from lots of different places. So we, we definitely appreciate that. And we uh, will be back. There's a lot of questions uh, from Dog Central subscribers that we did not get to. I've got them saved and stored. Uh, Going to try and hop on here a couple times a week between now and the season. Um, hopefully, you know, once a week with John and then uh, try and get some of our recruiting experts on as well to take some more of your kind of deep dive, like, you know, what – who are the top five edge rushers on Georgia's board type questions. Um, Cause we want to make sure we give you guys the best information we possibly can. So thank you for checking us out. Thanks for watching and please check us out at dogcentral.com If you haven't yet. See y'all.